The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Hello and welcome to Squawk Box. We are live from Frankfurt, Copenhagen and CNBC headquarters right here in London. Here are your headlines today. Top of the range, ARM prices its blockbuster IPO at $51 a share, giving the chip designer a valuation of over $54 billion, with the stock set to debut on Wall Street today. US inflation rises by the most of any month this year, while core prices also come in hotter than anticipated, pushing the Dow to its second straight negative session. It's a close call for the ECB. The central bank weighs up a potential hike that would take rates to a record peak alongside a likely increase to the regional inflation outlook. We'll bring you the details in decision time. That's at 10 past 2 CET. And Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg, as well as Bill Gates, join tech leaders on Capitol Hill to discuss safeguards for artificial intelligence. With the Tesla CEO telling CNBC authorities must get out in front of the technology. The reason that I've been such an advocate for uh, AI safety in advance of sort of anything terrible happening is that I think the consequences of AI going wrong are, are severe. Um, so we have to be proactive rather than reactive. And Maersk makes waves in the shipping industry, unveiling the world's first container ship powered by green methanol. It's a really symbolic day of our energy transition really becoming a reality, something concrete that we can actually demonstrate, not just commitments and, and hard work, but actually something that everybody can see. You've heard the drumbeat all week, but today is the day. Arm has announced it will price its blockbuster IPO at $51 per share at the top of its range, implying a fully diluted valuation of over $54 billion. The chip designer says shares are expected to begin trading in New York today, with the IPO set to close next Monday. Arjun has been pouring through the detail and watching every twist and turn. Now, we know that there was a richer price in mind. We've been heard in the headlines yesterday whether the pricing would be set at the upper range or beyond. In the end, we didn't go beyond the range on this pricing, but SoftBank certainly grabbed the upper end as it was dangled before it. Yeah, we're finally here. Wow. <laughs> um, but... but yeah, there was a lot of demand for this IPO. We, we know that it was is multiple times oversubscribed. There were big investors uh, pouring into this. And of course, we heard TSMC this week said they're going to invest up to $100 million uh, in this IPO. Of course, SoftBank only floated around 10% of the shares, sort of almost keeping that demand uh, or, or the scarcity of those shares there's, there as well, which is creating a bit of hype. But of course, the, the the, the IPO comes at a, a testing time for both SoftBank and Arm. For SoftBank, of course, it's in a time where the Vision Fund still is reeling from, from massive losses. At, and this needs to go well, one from a reputational point of view, but also to shore up its balance sheet as it looks to invest in some of these new areas. But also for Arm, it's coming at a time when its core business around smartphones and consumer electronics is also facing a number of headwinds. The smartphone market is slumping this year. Uh, demand still remains very soft. And of course, Arm's 
architecture underpins 99% of the processes in the world's uh, smartphones as well. So perhaps that valuation wasn't what perhaps the, 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 the more than 60 billion SoftBank wanted is a reflection of the fact that Arm very much fundamentally is still a company struggling to find new areas of growth. And that I think over the long term is going to be very much in focus for investors. Yes, Arm we know is, is extremely strong in what it does right now, but how does it pivot to some of these new areas and take advantage of some of the new technologies coming to the fore? I want to talk about the timing that it comes to market on. We've got a NASDAQ that is bumping around some of the high levels so far for 2023, and the market has been effectively signaled that the Fed will be on hold next week. So you do wonder whether this is somewhat of a sweet spot for SoftBank to, to dip its toe in the water. But on the, the valuation, here. The price to earnings multiple on ARM 104 is what we're talking about. NVIDIA is priced in the range 108 times earnings, but this is a company that's forecast 170% revenue growth for the current quarter. That's a narrative change on where the revenue was going to be versus where it is now, thanks to the AI story. ARM doesn't have that. So the 104 times earnings might be too lofty for some investors. And we've heard a number of commentators on this show talk about the fact that this isn't necessarily a cautious approach to the, the valuation. This is still quite rich given some of those numbers you've just mentioned there. And I think it does uh, come down again to the fact that when we look at NVIDIA, as you mentioned, this is a company that is, is forecasting massive growth. It's a company that's actually playing right in the heart of this AI boom. We are seeing their, their graphics processing units in the data center, training these huge language models that are underpinning applications like ChatGPT. NVIDIA is right in the heart of that. Where, where ARM is playing in AI is not really anywhere near that at this point. Uh, and also it's likely to play more on the periphery of this AI boom we see, i.e. AI that happens on the edge on your devices rather than up in the cloud and that's a very different proposition and that's also a proposition that's not playing out yet at least with Nvidia you've got growth happening now uh, companies are investing in its chips now to train these massive AI, AI models that's not happening with ARM there's not huge amounts of AI processes happening right now uh, on device that's a future trend and, and you know people I've spoken to this week suggesting that ARM may not see revenue from that sort of trend for at least three to five years and that's down the line at this point. And of course, you throw into the mix with that what happens to the, to the tech landscape, what happens to the competitive landscape of what ARM plays into. Uh, that's a very different story perhaps going forward. So does this mean Masayoshi-san perhaps gets into what he often does, which is just buy someone else who can get him into that space and, and, and really pick up revenue that way? The, the, the key, I think, for Masayoshi-san is, is how the Vision Fund now pivots, right? Yeah. It's come off the back of, of huge losses billions of dollars of losses uh, over the last sort of uh, 12 to 18 months. And so the company now is talking about offense mode. Now the, the mistakes Masayoshi-san and SoftBank have made in the past has been around jumping into companies quite late stage in the game and paying way over the odds uh, in terms of the shares they buy then bringing those companies to market and wondering why they, <laughs> they're down 40, 50%. That's been one of the mistakes the company's made. There's been criticisms of the company around the way it assesses some of these deals and the companies it investors, invests in, non-profitable companies with very uh, sort of gray uh, runways to growth and profitability. Mm -hmm. And so I think the key now is gonna be has Masayoshi-san and SoftBank learned their lessons uh, from that? And in this new era of AI, where there's a load of hype, where there's probably a lot of companies that have no path to profitability, how does SoftBank go about investing? They're talking about offense, 
but does that still will need to come i think and shareholders will want to see that come with a level of prudence around how they go about investing in these AI companies. As you've been spelling out this story, hugely relevant for ARM, for SoftBank, for other companies coming to the market and for the pipeline around AI as well. But we've got um, Adam Koschiel joining us, head of listings, EMEA at the NASDAQ. Adam, thank you very much for joining us today. I want to get into the mm-hmm. IPO market. I just mentioned this might be a sweet spot at this stage for ARM to come to the market, given that we've got uh, some strength in the NASDAQ still. We've got uh, the Fed possibly uh, pressing pause at this stage on interest rate hikes. What do you make of the IPO window? Do we have one at this stage? Well, I think we do. Thanks uh, again for being on the show here. Uh, but uh, I think from our perspective, we definitely see an IPO window. We have Arm this week. We have Instacart. We have a few other key brands coming out to the market. There's an upbeat demand uh, and the timing seems to be quite right at, at this particular time in terms of the demand. And there's some excellent companies coming out. Just give us a sense of the relevance here, because there haven't been a ton of listings this week uh, and this year, this month. You know, you put the whole list together for 2023. We really haven't had a string of listings to to set the the pathway for ARM. It's very much out there pioneering when it comes to 2023 listings. What is the relevance for those other companies that you mentioned, the likes of Instacart, as they, they watch the fortunes of ARM on the markets today? Absolutely. I think, you know, the ARM is the largest tech offering since 2014 in the U.S. So from, from our perspective, this is a huge offering. It's an important deal. It's an important deal not only for ARM and NASDAQ, but it's an important deal overall for the IPO market, as you're referring to. I think everyone's looking at what is the appetite of the market to invest in these companies coming into the, to, to the public markets. Uh, and I think the, the key issue here is finding the right valuation level. And I think we're seeing that with Instacart now, trying to define its new valuation level uh, coming in from a private world. Uh, so I think from that perspective, all our, all eyes are ARM uh, and uh, Instacart next week and a few other deals. And I, if, if these do well, I think we'll start seeing an IPO window opening up. And Adam, uh, it's Arjun here. What if these don't do well? What if you do see uh, sort of negative sentiment towards these two? What's the risk at play here? Yeah, well, good good question. I think from our perspective, I think there is a demand. Uh, A lot of these companies have pivoted during very tough times and uncertain times. They're coming into the market at lower valuations than they probably had expected. Uh, And I think there is an overall acceptance in the market in terms of these new valuations. And I think this has been the struggle, meeting the new valuation levels. Uh, and I think that's important. Uh, so from that perspective, if we, we of course hope that these companies will do well. Uh, there's a large pipeline of companies that are ready to go public, not only in the US, but on a global basis. So I think from our perspective, all the ingredients here are, are right, uh, and we're wishing them all the best. Adam, has the has the profile of the companies coming to market changed at all? When you look at Instacart, the company says it has a, a net income; it's profitable. Arm, of course, is profitable. Uh, one of the uh, things we saw with a lot of the listings, sort of pre the Fed rate hikes, was very much around unprofitable companies coming to market, yeah. and those are the ones that have been hammered um, so far as well. So, has the, has the profile changed? Are you seeing when you talk about that pipeline? Are the number of com- companies coming to market profitable increasing? Absolutely. And I think that's going to make the markets more sustainable over time. And I think the companies have done an excellent job in shifting that uh, dynamic within the company and also the dialogue with the investors. They're coming in at lower multiples, lower valuations, 
but more profitability. And uh, those companies that have done that and are ready for the market right now will be well met from that perspective. So yes, the, the topic of profitability is a key topic. It's an individual company by company discussion, but at the end of the day, that's going to be a key driver of the valuation and the appetite to invest. Yeah, Adam, good morning. Aribile here. So what happens then with regards to a, a continued attractiveness then of your market to continue to lure uh, even more of these and ensure that that sort of doesn't feel like a saturated market? How do you ensure that uh, continues to be, you know, the foray here, that you, you, you don't seem like you're too saturated and that more and more just want to actually uh, list, especially on the NASDAQ? Well, that's a good question. So from our perspective, you know, shifting to the public markets is not only about liquidity, it's about the creating further options for further growth for the company. And I think that's where the public market comes into play, especially if you have the profile of a growth company, but with profitability, I think then you have really, you can tap into different types of assets to support your further growth. And I think that's a key parameter. A lot of companies were ready in 2022, uh, but of course the markets weren't there. So a lot of these companies have continued to focus on the profitability, continues to focus to make them sure, make themselves ready for the IPO market, continue the dialogue with the investors. So I think from our perspective, it's not a question of saturation, it's a question of making sure that these companies transition into the public markets, leverage them and continue to grow. Uh, and then at the end of the day, the, the drivers of valuations will probably evolve, uh, but the key parameters here are, you know, as we mentioned before, growth, but with profitability. There is an appetite. There's a lot of money that wants to invest, uh, and we're seeing that right now in Arm and, and Instacart and many others. Yeah, my colleague Arjun spoke about uh, the number of those listings and, and really just the, uh, you know, the profile of those listings. In terms then of size as well, are you seeing in your pipeline, is the size significantly larger in terms of the businesses themselves? Are they larger entities or are you finding even the smaller ones really trying to, to make a play here as well in this space? Well, it's a good question. So I think overall, you will probably see the larger transactions move out first. I think overall, investors are looking for more liquid transactions, larger transactions. So we'll probably see those test the waters first. Uh, and uh, on the trail of that, we have a, a long tail of small to medium sized companies that are ready to go to the public markets as well. But I think the larger ones will be the first ones out. And again, the pipeline that we have is both in the US, but also from Europe to US and also in Europe overall is more of a pipeline for 2024. So I think from that perspective, it's important that 2023 comes to a good start. It comes to a good end and leaving us with a good start for 2024. Adam, you've been at all the tech conferences in recent years that Arjun and myself have been at. You've seen all the hype around different uh, tech offerings, and obviously it's about AI at this stage. But yes. Europe is, is hitting back hard when it comes to regulation, and there are concerns that perhaps uh, Europe will take a much stronger approach over the long term than what you're going to see out of the United States and elsewhere. Could that hamper the efforts of some of the AI startups in Europe ultimately impacting their listing ambitions? Are you worried about over-regulation in Europe? Well, I think regulation, as you say, there is a caution around the importance of regulation here. Uh, so I think regulation is key. I think the important is that, you know, is that Europe remains a, a tech maker, not only a tech taker in that perspective. So I think Europe has to stay competitive, uh, but also with caution. Uh, and I think also we see the dialogue in the US now in terms of setting the, the, the playing field 
from a regulatory point of view around AI is also key. So I think this is a global discussion. It should be global. And I think Europe should try to remain competitive. AI is going to be key in the dialogue for most companies coming to market in terms of how they position themselves towards AI, how they're going to leverage AI, how it's going to impact their business models. So it's going to be a key story, a key part of the story, equity story, both private and public for a long time. Adam, uh, I think next cab off the rank is Lisbon when we talk about tech events. So we'll see you there. Thank you very much for joining us on the back of uh, this big arm story today. Adam Costio, head of listings, EMEA at the NASDAQ. And Arjun, of course, will be joining us throughout the morning. Big day as we build up to the huge moment, including conversations with the firm's co-founder, Herman Hauser, and also James Ashton, author of The Everything Blueprint. There's been a lot of hype around ARM's debut. All that's left now is to see whether it can deliver. Pro users can find what analysts are saying on our website and why one has put it in their danger zone. Sounds like Top Gun, doesn't it? (laughs) Danger zone. Danger zone. Well, coming up on the show, uh, will it be a hike or a pause? The ECB is also poised to deliver its latest interest rates decision. We'll break down what to expect with Aneta, who's out in Frankfurt. That's after the break. Plus, Maersk is making history in the shipping industry, with the company set to unveil the world's first container vessel sailing on green methanol. We'll be live from Copenhagen to take a closer look later this hour. And stay tuned for more of our coverage of the upcoming ARM IPO. We'll speak to the company's co-founder, Herman Hauser. That's coming up at 9.30 CET. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. Another beautiful morning in London. Well, too, some of the big data we've been watching stateside. U.S. inflation rising at the fastest pace in 14 months in August, with CPI up 0.6% on the month and surging energy prices. Underlying inflation also ticked high, with core prices rising by 0.3%, slightly above expectations. Fed funds futures barely moving after the data, implying a near certainty that the U.S. central bank will hold rates next week. But a more than 40% chance of one more hike by the end of the year. Markets in that context are a a little bit choppy. Yeah, so what's the move then when it comes to this market picture? Well, it's fairly mixed uh, is what we saw then for Wall Street by the close of yesterday's trade. The Dow Jones, uh, again, a consecutive day of losses, even though the day before it was only slight. Now we are seeing a two-tenths of a percent drop-off when it comes to the Dow Jones Industrial. Uh, As we noted then, that CPI print being the key factor to look out for in this market, uh, that, uh, that number a little hotter than anticipated. But still going in that downward move, that downward trajectory is what the market is certainly uh, looking at and looking for. And that's exactly what's kind of happened. On the other side of the scale, though, the Nasdaq, as well as the S&P 500, managing to gain the mega caps, though, are the ones to look out for. The mega cap tech stocks, 
uh, may manage to get some good numbers then. And, and this is really what we saw uh, out of them. You had the likes of Tesla, Meta, uh, Microsoft, as well as Amazon then, uh, all managing to gain over 1% each. Pretty much a recovery when it comes to those U.S. tech stocks uh, that we've uh, been looking at. Uh, for some time now as well and that recovery has really shown uh, itself in some of these numbers right we saw apple uh, dip off 1.7 percent post uh, its event then where it launched the iphone 15 with uh, quite a few changes but perhaps the question mark around whether it was enough to galvanize the market and push through for more sales uh, for the iphone but managing to dip off more than one percent but overall, you still see the likes of Tesla, as I said, Alphabet, Microsoft, all managing to gain more than uh, 1% there. Netflix, however, becoming very interesting, losing 5% in that picture. They came out with a guidance yesterday, perhaps not impressing the market uh, as one would have initially anticipated. On to the Treasury front, well, a dip off then uh, yesterday with, uh, with regards to the Treasury, the two-year dipping below 5%. Even going as far as 4.9585, where we currently sit, well, towards the top end as well, 4.22. We had seen the 10-year even look like it was headed well above that 4.30 mark, now dipping back to 4.2287 and 4.3242 then for the 30-year. On to the dollar crosses then. Uh, the dollar, the currencies, well, they've hovered above what is a three-month low, particularly against the euro yesterday. Um, and you are seeing it now at 107.50. 125.02 against the sterling is pretty much where it has traded in and around for some time now, even though it did even go all the way to 115, actually, uh, following the UK's uh, uh, data then, particularly on wages, as well as GDP numbers then, which have been significant. That CPI number, uh, unable then, you know, faltering, unable to rather change the view on whether the Fed would actually uh, pause on those interest rate hikes at its meeting, which is anticipated, of course, next week. The yen pulling away then from those 10-month uh, trough to the dollar. Arabile Morgan Stanley's global chief economist told our U.S. colleagues he thinks the Fed's hiking cycle is over. Of inflation for consumer goods, we still have a downward trend for rent inflation. So what I think it means is the trend that we've been seeing and that we've been calling for, you know, all year of disinflation that's going to make it easier for the Fed to call it quits on the rate hikes. I think this print sort of kept us on that track. So our baseline view is the Fed's already done with their hiking. So the market, I think, at this point, uh, very much on the sidelines, thinking the Fed is not going to be moving next week. So that is key. But then the signaling function for the rest of this year is the narrative I think many people are watching. We do have this fairly choppy pattern playing out on the stock market of late. It looks as though the market has traded itself to uh, some standstill positions, waiting for fresh cues from here from the Fed. But I think what's fascinating, we've had this move in the oil price, and that was very much, again, flagged up in the numbers that rolled through yesterday. The Labor Department reported more than half of the increase in the month of August was due to higher gasoline prices. So unless we get another fade in these prices that we're seeing on energy markets, then it's going to be an issue still. And we know it's not just the headline number we're talking about. It filters across to the core numbers as well. We're seeing that time over time. I think for me, one of the narratives that's been interesting in recent months is that the transportation cost side has started to abate. And all the CEOs we've been talking to around earnings have mentioned that those costs have come down. Yeah. Now, as we look at this rise again, that transportation component comes back into the equation when we look at future earnings from here as well. The other big part around this was 
the airline sector. Jet fuel prices have been very much elevated. We know that airline ticket prices, at least, were one of the features around the inflation side here too. So if we continue to see pressure coming through the airline business with those higher prices, demand is still strong, then you've got to say, will that still be a problem for the inflation basket thanks to the jet fuel component coming in? Yeah, so if if we talk broadly, I mean, you take all of those considerations and then it peaks up uh, to, to them, perhaps the market looking at it saying they'll need to hike again in November. Now, if they need to hike again in November, is the Fed, is a 25 basis point hike sufficient at that stage? Because if you've seen it peak its head up again, you may need to do a little bit more work to tame it a little bit further. So does 25% at that stage even then cover your ends? If it doesn't, that just means you may probably have to head for a 50 basis point hike over two different timelines, so 25 and 25, which means that you're hiking again early next year and then keeping rates at that level for even longer. So I think that will also be a, a key notion to kind of get a clearer sense of um, when they make their decision as well next week to understand are they are they worried particularly with regards to energy as a, as as you've made note of which I think is going to be the key factor uh, from here on it could just make uh, have hit a trough and maybe just pick up again well, the issue is that monetary policy is a blunt instrument yeah and what we're talking about now is stickiness in some categories namely in the the services side when it comes to wages particularly mm. for the highest skilled workers and that there is a feeling that is not going to abate with another rate hike that may take a little bit more or higher for longer here to get that stickiness out mm. one of the other components I did mention was insurance, vehicle insurance. Every CEO that we spoke to recently on the earnings was mentioning that premiums are still going up from here. Maybe a slower pace on the increases, but there was no intention to start cutting back on those insurance premiums. They were citing the risk, climate risk out there as well, uh, the cycle that you're seeing in terms of the, the ability to, to reprice to the upside, the cost of inflation. I mean, in terms of repairing a vehicle, it costs more these days than what it did in the past. Yeah. So it doesn't feel as though even that category is going to come back. So the stickiness we're seeing in various components means that we're still talking about this higher for longer scenario is the the Fed and other central banks trying to get rid of every final bit of inflation to get us back to that 2% category. And they'll be very happy perhaps to do so considering they still have some leeway when you look at things like jobless claims that keeps on dropping off as well. So the jobs market loosening uh, somewhat but still fairly tight in some areas as well. Of course, it's not just about the Fed. The ECB has also, uh, is also in the news. They've criticized the Italian government's planned windfall tax on banks, warning that it could make the banking sector more vulnerable in an economic downturn. The central bank said lenders uh, with weaker capital levels would be less able to absorb potential risks. But Italian Prime Minister Giorgia Meloni uh, stands uh, by the plan, telling State TV the windfall tax could provide just under 3 billion euros in revenues to the government. We've just been speaking about central bank decisions while the ECB is set to announce its latest monetary policy decision today with markets split on whether the central bank will target a smaller rate increase or favor a pause in its hiking cycle. Aneta joining us for more here. It seems like an even split here. Uh, let's, let's discuss both sides of the scale. Why do both arguments make sense, Aneta? 
Well, actually, perhaps we start with the, with the pausing argument, because uh, what we've seen recent, uh, from recent economic data is that there's a sharp deceleration of economic activity across your area, especially in the bigger economies such as Germany. Um, it, it's not only in the manufacturing space, which is in contractionary territory since mid of last year, but also now what we're increasingly seeing that the high inflation uh, consumer reluctance to spend is also weighing on the service sector. And on top of that comes higher wage demand. So I think that's the picture where um, people might say, okay, perhaps we pause a little bit when it comes to the rate hiking, because it also takes a little bit of time until uh, rate hikes are actually eating their way through the system, the economic system. So that's the case actually for pausing. Uh, whereas the case for hiking is that if you look at the underlying inflation trend, recent inflation print, came in, high, in higher than 5% for the euro area, core inflation at 5.3%. Um, this is far too high. And also there's a threat of a re-acceleration of inflation given the higher energy prices, given the rage rounds we are seeing. Um, so the, the ECB could actually uh, lean on the side of rather hiking again and potentially committing a policy error like Trichet did it um, years ago. Um, but they could could want to do it because that shows that they're really focused on getting that inflation back. If you look at the, the, the speech from Madame Lagarde in Jackson Hole, um, she was clearly stating they are not done yet. But whether this means a hike today and perhaps a pause in October or a pause today and another hike in October remains to be seen. Actually, it's all um, down to what kind of majority is actually forming in the government in council because clearly the southern or the periphery is very much in favor of pausing because of the detrimental effect on the economy, especially also the real estate sector, whereas the Hawks, especially the very vocal Dutch central banker, is more or less in favor of hiking one more time today. Um, having said that, uh, Isabel Schnabel, is, I think, is quite a good indication of where we are headed and in a recent speak, because normally she, she's one of the more hawkish central bank uh, board members. She actually was alluding to the fact that pausing might be an option for this meeting. So, but as I said, it, normally it's more or less uh, not known, but the guidance is much firmer for what we are getting today. Actually, everything more or less is possible. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.